But like you said, you're going to do some kind of main movement that gives you an opportunity to progressively overload. And then you're probably going to have a, a bit more accessory work that looks like an accessory to a muscle rather than an accessory to a movement. Welcome back to Training Room Talk, powered by Precision Performance Physical Therapy. Here we talk about pain, rehab, performance, and education. If you have questions about the nuance that we dive into, please reach out to us. We would love to talk to you about it. Apart from that, we hope you guys enjoyed today's episode, and we hope everyone stays safe and is staying healthy. All right, guys, welcome back. Um, I'm here with Dr. Troy. What's going on, guys? And we're going to do, so we've had a, a couple weeks, the last few weeks of, you know, some episodes where we went into controversial or at least more scientific, you know, discussions on manual therapy, technique, um, you know, residency, fellowship, continuing education. So we're going to take a step back now and go maybe a little lighter on this one. Um, we're going to talk about training for looks or for aesthetic purposes versus training for performance. And, you know, maybe we'll get into some of the, the differences in terms of actual programming or, you know, if someone has those different goals, but then also kind of from our own experience, what we've enjoyed or what we've seen beneficial from either direction. Um, you know, I actually had this conversation yesterday with Dan, who, for those of you out there who doesn't know, is the significant other of our PT, Nisha, um, who is also a PT. Um, and we were talking about training for, he was, he's a runner. Um, so we we're talking about running versus kind of like bodybuilding style training, which is mostly what I am training like now. And I've competed in that. Um, and you know, it's, it's been shown in, in some studies looking at injury rates that for bodybuilding style training, they tend to be significantly lower. Like you're looking at 0.5 to one injury per thousand training hours versus CrossFit, powerlifting, strongman, those types of barbell sports are in the anywhere between one and five injuries per thousand training hours. So a lot more. Um, and part of that is I feel I've had a similar experience with that style of training because I have more flexibility in exercise selection. And if I, my back feels a little like meh, on one given day, then I can, you know, instead of deadlifting, focus on other hamstring stuff, RDLs, single RDLs, hamstring curls, Nordics, whatever. Um, I know, Troy, you've been on kind of the, the triceps 1.0 and 2.0. Mm -hmm. um, what kind of inspired you to change your training and, and be more physique or aesthetics oriented? Uh, for me, it was my goals just shifted totally towards aesthetics. Um, I was going on vacation to a tropical place, so it just completely shifted towards chest, arms, a little bit of quads, <laughs> do you and feel, some lats. Do you feel like the the desire to train for aesthetics is frowned upon in our profession? Um, I wouldn't say frowned upon i guess it depends on the the person you ask but there's a decent amount of haters out there i would say towards <laughs> training to, for aesthetics yeah I, I you know i feel like it's been so obviously you know the functional fitness crossfit realm has bled into rehab and rehabs become very much kind of you know 
strength conditioning based or strength conditioning like has blended into a lot of rehab concepts, which is great. Um, But at the same time, there's been such a a focus on function and, you know, picking exercises that transfer well to your given sport or, or, and, and bicep curls and tricep press downs have been, have been shamed or left out of the equation as, you know, useless because you're never just flexing your elbow in isolation in any sport task. Um, so it's been kind of, you know, set aside as, as a training modality. Sometimes it's nice, though, you know, after a whole day of doing all functional, methodically training individuals in the PT gym, it's nice to just forget about that. Go to the gym and just mindlessly rip some bicep curls or tricep pushdowns. Yeah, I mean, not even as a like a clinician treating patients, but just for your own self. I feel like, you know, I personally have always enjoyed training that way, probably the most. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I competed in powerlifting and that was a ton of fun. But, you know, you go in and sometimes you don't want to, you don't feel like squatting, you don't feel like benching, you don't feel like deadlifting. And obviously part of your sport is sacrificing what you feel like doing and um, doing it anyways. But, you know, when you or maybe training more for the enjoyment of it, sometimes you're going to want to set that stuff aside. And the nice thing about bodybuilding style training or training for aesthetics is that you can set certain exercises aside and do different things and still be equally kind of working towards your goal. Because at the end of the day, in the session, what you're essentially looking for is giving enough volume to a specific muscle. It doesn't really matter how you go about doing that in terms of the exercise selection um and so it can feel better yeah. to go in and you know be able to just mindlessly train quads with the leg press and with a hack squad and with a knee extension and not have to worry about oh, my hip doesn't feel great so let me see if i can figure out a way to you know switch this up make squatting feel better so i can keep squatting because my goal is squatting that just that gets exhausting sometimes it does it at sometimes it almost does feel like less of a chore to just go in there and go more for the bodybuilding aesthetics uh, training. But I think it's also interesting, like the way the whole mindset shifts too. like you just mentioned, you're training more muscles as opposed to movements, which are usually training and performance. Like you're not training this hinge pattern or squat pattern. You're not doing like an upper push pull, like I'm ripping chest, I'm ripping quads, yeah. hamstrings. Yeah, it's definitely a different it's a different mindset for sure. And that's the thing, like in, in rehab or just sports performance, functional fitness, cross it, like it's always, it's been a shift from the old school seventies, eighties, nineties bodybuilding era where it was training muscles and having, you know, a body part split to now it's more about, you know, certain patterns and saying like, Oh, today I'm going to, you know, train the hinge pattern and it's going to be some vertical pulling and it's going to be this. And I think, you know, for myself, I've, I've forced myself into that style of training at times and then gotten, you know, after four, eight weeks and I realized like, I'm not really enjoying this that much. And I don't know why I'm putting myself in the box of like having to try to be super functional with stuff. And at the end of the day, like, you can even even when I'm training in a bodybuilding style, like I'm still probably going to do, you know, RDLs. I'm still going to do some form of squat, and I'm still going to do some form of 
obviously pressing, pulling. I'm going to use dumbbell. I'm going to use free weights. You know, I'm probably not going to be doing sprints or box jumps or burpees or any of that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think you'd be hard-pressed to say that there's zero carryover from some of the basic foundational movements to whatever other sport. But also we're not talking about it in the context of sport. Like I wouldn't recommend a baseball player or uh, a football player, anyone really who's in a, in a team sport or otherwise to train like a bodybuilder. Um, but at the same Definitely. time, like I feel most of the exercises you use in rehab, are they super functional or like do you use bodybuilding style movements or like isolated joining like joint movements sure um definitely especially what's jumping to my mind is like with tendinopathies like my goal there is to load up that tendon that muscle specifically so then it is definitely like a moto row or a simple bicep curl tricep press on whatever it is an isolated movement um but it's you know rehab like you said it's blending in with strength and condition it's almost the same way like you hit some of the main movements so some of the main functional things that we're going for and then it does get into accessory work where maybe it is a little more isolated yeah and so i feel like you you look at a lot of the stuff that you do even in rehab and sometimes you are trying to be fairly precise with how you're going to load something Mm -hmm. and you know much of even when you look at you know shoulder external rotation at kind of a 90 90 position with a pitcher like you may have them do kind of like a high row externally rotate at 90 90 and then come back and kind of work on maybe develop developing some you know eccentric control so that they can you know not have as much pain in their follow-through because maybe they're getting a posterior cuff tendinopathy that's not super functional quote-unquote like it does mimic the movement of their sport but at the end of the day like you are isolating it in a very different context i don't know that that's going to have a ton of carry over to the pitch as much as it it is just going to develop some kind of physical capacity or physical capabilities that then when they do go pitch they can kind of reinforce that pattern or they have you know more strength to incorporate into their actual throwing mechanics yeah because they're in that instance you're just loading up the tendon in the range that they throw at it's not like you're you know you're still working on deceleration strength and eccentric strength through the follow-through but you're not really getting to those high velocities to truly train functionally specifically for a pitch. Right. right. And that's the thing. Like you're not always trying to improve the performance when you recognize that improving the performance requires you, especially in that circumstance, like to improve upon your pitch, you have to probably be incredibly specific. And most of what's going to improve that is just pitching mm-hmm. right in different maybe velocities, different weighted ball or other implements, maybe some very, you know, very similar band work where you're working on, you know, developing strength at that velocity, at that exact mechanics. Um, I don't know that if you took someone off the street and did some of the basic kind of rotator cuff loading exercises that you do in rehab, I don't think you would see their velo going up unless they're also throwing at the same time and actually doing things specifically for pitching oh yeah so at the end of the day you're not being that specific most of the time anyways in terms of selection you might just be choosing positions that mimic those sport demands a little bit more but 
I think people exaggerate how much transfer there is between what they do in rehab and what their sport actually entails. Yeah. I mean, is it still functional if you're still keeping end goal in mind, right? Like we're hitting this rotator cuff tendinopathy in this range because we want to get you better when you're throwing on the field. So I guess, you know, theoretically, the overarching goal is still function, still getting you back to the sport. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. Like, you know, someone who has pain when they throw – the pain may be limiting their function. Mm-hmm. If I do a bicep curl for someone with a biceps tendinopathy and that loading from the curl reduces their pain and now pain isn't as limiting of their function, is the bicep curl functional? It's all functional. It's. I mean, <laughs> you know, given the certain context, I think you can – any exercise can be – built into a program that would make it functional in a certain context. You know, it just depends on the circumstance of the individual and what's going on. Now, if there's no real reason to train their biceps with curls, there's no pain, there's no specific, you know, rationale why you would include that in a program. Is it functional? Can you, you know, come up with a reason to make it functional? Maybe not, you know, maybe there are instances where a single joint moving in a single plane alone is just not at all relevant to your sport. But at the same time, I question sometimes whether or not it's harmful. And you could maybe make the argument that improving that tendon or that muscle's overall capacity might actually be somewhat preventative of you know, tendinopathies and things like that in general. Yeah, I agree. I think it's it's okay for some of these athletes to hit some isolated stuff just to work on, like you said, resiliency, capacity of the tendons, as long as they do it within moderation. You know, if it is this overhead athlete that occasionally gets some, you know, anterior shoulder pain with their sport, like maybe you don't want to, you know, crush biceps every single day, but throwing in a bicep isolated movement every now and then, every other day, something like that, just to help build up some of that capacity of that tendon. For to help in the long run to help reduce that irritation. Yeah, and to be fair, like biceps and triceps do attach on your scapula. Like they do actually contribute to shoulder motion and particularly long head of biceps, like maintaining some depression of the humeral head. I don't know how relevant that is in terms of impingement and you know what the actual biomechanics there are in terms of how much they matter with pain in mind but at the end of the day like what seems to be maybe isolated might actually be affecting more joint regions than you actually anticipate and I think that the the argument can be made at the same time with you know even folks who are non-athletes but have you know maybe physical requirements as a farmer or as a manual labor a construction worker who comes in with shoulder pain does maybe having stronger biceps and triceps allow you to shift some stress away from your shoulder, which is being overloaded at work with whatever repetitive loaded movements that you're having to do? Probably. And at least the cost of training your biceps and triceps, three or four sets each at an eight or nine RPE, does that take a long time? 
No, you know, you can probably train both of those things three or four sets in less than five minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that the opportunity cost is exaggerated at times too with some of those movements. Um, But in terms of like, if you get someone who, who comes to you who wants to maybe train for exclusively aesthetics, how do you go about, like what would their program look like compared to someone who maybe wants to train aesthetics, but then also has other goals related to strength. I mean, even with aesthetics, I guess it basically comes down to what their goals are with their aesthetics. You know, is it, you know, a guy that wants bigger chest, bigger arms, and don't really care about legs at all? Or is it somebody else who would rather, you know, tone up their legs and, you know, um, improve their lean body mass, lose some weight, um, that's going to impact it. So I think it still comes down to the athlete's goals. But, you know, I think the same kind of concepts lay in mind for aesthetics as it does for sports. You know, you hit your main one, so you're still going to hit your your bench press, your squats, your deadlifts, because you're going to be able to pick up a lot of volume there, move a lot of weight, work on strength there. And then you're going to get into the more isolated movements. So now we are going to hit kind of an isolated press or maybe some delt work a specific lat movement like a motor roll lat pull down something like that and then you know if their goal is arms you're probably going to finish out with some kind of arm farm you're going to hit a chest or a, a buys a tries superset if their you know goal is legs then you're going to hit those main movements then maybe you're getting into some single leg quad work single leg hamstring work and maybe finishing out with like a glute circuit, something like that. But, you know, I think the, the goal in mind with the program is more targeting muscles as opposed to, you know, lower push, lower pull, upper push, upper pull. Yeah. And ultimately, like you, if you wrote both programs, they're probably not even going to look that different. Like if you look at some of my programming for myself or for some clients who have goals that are predominantly, you know, based in aesthetics, the programs probably look pretty similar for strength. Obviously, if there are certain movements that you're using to measure strength, like it is a barbell back squat, it is a barbell bench, and it is a conventional deadlift. Well, we're going to have to include those things more in the kind of strength oriented program, whereas the bodybuilding or the aesthetics based program, maybe you care about lower body strength, but you don't care whether that's a back squat, a front squat, a hack squat, a leg press. You just want overall ability to produce force, you know, an improvement upon that. And it doesn't matter how you measure it. Then the exercises may look a little bit more varied, um, a little bit different. And maybe week to week, there's more flexibility in terms of rather than writing in the program, you know, seated cable row or bent over barbell row, It's just written horizontal row, you know, and you can kind of pick which one you want based on how you feel that day, what you want to do, um, maybe what's available. Like if you work out in an environment where, you know, there's not a ton of equipment that is available and you may have to wait in line for certain things and you rather not have to do that. And so maybe it's a little bit more flexible for that reason as well. But like you said, you're going to do some kind of main movement that gives you an opportunity to progressively overload and then you're probably going to have a a bit more accessory work that looks like an accessory to a muscle rather than an accessory to a movement so rather than 
after your bar- barbell back squat, going and doing pause squat or doing a safety bar squat, tempo work, or some kind of squat variation to assist your squat, you might then do something that looks completely different from that movement and do a knee extension or do a close stance, heel elevated goblet squat, you know, something that doesn't have probably a lot of transfer or a leg press over to mm-hmm. the squat. So, you know, the, the accessories might look a little different and overall you're worried more about volume as a whole and progressively overloading within a rep range that your volume can stay fairly high, like in the, you know, six to 10, maybe even to 15 rep range. Um, even for the main lifts, they can certainly get heavier if strength is also a goal, but you know, most of the stuff's probably going to be in the higher rep range. You're going to be still progressing intensity within that rep range. And so on at face value, the programs, someone who doesn't know all that much about programming would probably look at the two and not necessarily be able to distinguish which program is for which goals, unless they kind of knew the physical qualities that would be developed from one program versus the other. Um, I would say one thing that an aesthetic program probably lacks that a, um, a performance program has is there's a lot less of a focus on stability and training in different planes, right? I feel like with performance, um, there's a lot of, you know, an overhead athletes doing a lot of cuff work, um, a more runner or a field based board. They're probably doing a lot of, you know, single leg stability, <laughs> hip stability. But these athletes are also training in a lot of planes. You know, they're hitting some frontal side-to-side movements. They're hitting some transverse with, you know, med ball throws or pal-off presses, anything like that. I feel like with when you're training that more like bodybuilding style, you kind of lose that. I feel like it is a lot of sagittal plane stuff. You are doing some, you know, like single leg stuff or, um, you know, single arm bench press, stuff like that. But the goal isn't really, you know, stability. But, you know, and that comes to like, does it matter if they don't train stability? Like if you, if the person training doesn't have a sport that they're training for, like in the context, a football player probably needs to train in different kind of planes. They probably need to do some frontal plane stuff, some transverse plane, rotational stuff, because when they get tackled or when they have to cut back and forth, they're not going to be doing that exclusively in the sagittal plane. So you want to kind of prepare them for those demands. But someone who's just a recreational gym goer, how much do you worry about developing frontal or transverse plane, you know, qualities or capacity when very rarely are they ever going to need to do something that requires that? Exactly. Yeah, their goals just shift away from that, you know, training in different planes, needing to move in different planes. Although I I believe that it is good for, you know, overall health and well-being to be able to move in different planes and have, you know, a good foundation of stability throughout the body. And it's the goal shift away from that. So, you know, you don't quite train for those things. Yeah. So like how much, how much would you program say, let's say you have someone who comes in, their goals are exclusively aesthetics and you think, okay, you know, I'm fine with training and building a program specifically for that goal, but for the sake of kind of keeping the movements rounded off so that you're not only training sagittal plane and, you know, really losing the capacity to do anything other than that specific training modality. Like 
what would you include and how much of it just for the sake of kind of maintaining what they have or may maybe making some slight improvements if i honestly don't think i would include that much to work for because that's my goal right that's not the client's goal that's my goal for them to train in different planes and stuff so you know that may take away from some of the things that they wanted to work on but you can still work on both things at the same time like i mentioned before like if you do a you know single leg step up or a rear foot elevated split squat even a, a one arm alternating bench press you know you're still working on some stability you're still working on you know single limb so you're working on some strength deficiencies even maybe some mobility deficiencies with that but you know the client's goals are still at large there you're still working towards their goals and but you're still able to kind of sneak in some of that other stuff too yeah so i mean you know i think on any given day within the context of still working towards their goals like maybe one exercise is there that's unilateral for the sake of maybe addressing some you know deficits that exist from side to side that some of which may be normal some of which maybe you don't care about but for the sake of having a kind of well-rounded movement library included in their programming maybe you include that and then maybe on another say lower body day the first day you had a bulgarian split squat in there you're like okay i'm happy with that maybe the other day you have a step up or the other day you have like a cossack squat and it's in the frontal plane Uh, And then that just serves as one of their accessories on those each of those days probably doesn't take away at all from getting to the point where they want to be in terms of their goals and may provide them with a little bit more, you know, movement literacy or at least a little bit more of a well-rounded capability from the standpoint of having more movement options, Um, whether or not they choose to use those in a sport or in an activity that's up to them but at least it's kind of there for whatever life throws at you in in whatever context yeah i think the same goes for even when you're looking at like core stability right a lot of in the aesthetics programming it's going to be a lot of sagittal plane it's going to be a lot of rectus abdominant you know working on the six pack but in all the other movements almost every exercise is a core movement or a core exercise to some extent right you know if you are hitting a you know single leg exercise you can even throw an offset dumbbell in so you're still working some like anti-lateral flexion with that if you're doing a suitcase carry you're hitting the same thing so you are still hitting you know even core stability in different planes without putting in a specific you know paloff press or anti-rotation um, anti-lateral flexion kind of exercise right and that's where like I, I go back to the fact that the the carryover is probably not as different as people make it out to seem in that if you look at a bodybuilding program you can probably pick out the exercises and say oh this one actually does train these three other fancy things this one actually does also train these three other fancy things and like the exercise didn't need to be super quote-unquote functional or or different in order to get at a lot of this stuff that you're saying like do a single arm shoulder press and you're probably training a lot of you know different stuff that you could try to be very fancy about picking an exercise that you know trains 
core coordination with upper extremity movement and stability of the shoulder complex and the ability to coordinate those things all at the same time and resist lateral flexion and resist rotation. So it's anti-rotation, anti-lateral. Like you can say all of these things at a train. At the end of the day, it's a single arm shoulder press. It's pretty simple exercise and it's very easy to work that into kind of a more aesthetics oriented program. And you probably don't need a ton extra. And it's honestly not even likely that it trains you in a less functional way than something that is intentionally functional. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes when you get to the point where you're trying to be intentionally functional and, you know, it's worth even trying to define the word functional. And like we said, a bicep curl is functional if it relieves your shoulder pain that limits your function in throwing. So the word functional itself is, is all over the place. But, um, you know, when people seem to try to make things intentionally functional, a lot of times the exercises get so elaborate that you almost can't progressively overload them anymore. It gets really hard to overload. And then you're almost limiting their ability to develop strength and progress that movement because it's, you know, you standing on one leg on a BOSU ball with a band wrapped across your body, you know, and then a, a dumbbell in one hand doing a shoulder press. So you're probably not going to be able to add five pounds to that dumbbell each week. So if you got rid of all the extra fluff, you just were able to use a heavier dumbbell week to week, you're probably training all the same stuff that you wanted to with the crazy elaborate thing and maybe even more effectively because you could actually progress that. Yeah. You have to coach a lot less with those, you know, yeah, easier, you, isolated it's a lot still. easier to... <laughs> You know, if people talk about that stuff as an injury preventative tool or injury preventative strategy, and I'm like, these exercises actually seem kind of dangerous. You know, I could see myself getting injured with some of those exercises, whereas I don't see myself getting injured with a single arm shoulder press standing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so what, uh, in terms of your triceps program, how's that going so far? Uh, it's going really well. It's... Um, like you mentioned, it's just a, a program I enjoy doing. Like I've always gravitated towards the more bodybuilding, more aesthetics training. It's always been easier for me to get into the weight room and like work hard for those things. So it's going well. It's kind of like getting back to my roots, but yeah, can't complain. Do you feel like you, what, how do you feel on that style of program other than maybe the enjoyment piece, which you mentioned, how do you feel physically on that compared to what you were doing before, which was more like you were doing mass. Right. So, um, I feel a lot better now. Um, it is <laughs> yeah. more isolated stuff. And like you said, um, you know, if my knees bothering me a little bit during the squat, then I just hit either a different squat style, go to a single leg thing. And it feels better as opposed to before the program was, you know, strict this, this, and this, and it was, you know, something wasn't feeling good. Like I still had to work on my squat, still had to work on my deadlift and I just kind of pushed through it. So, Overall, I feel better. You know, it's training for aesthetics. So, you know, you know, look good, feel good kind of <laughs> has some truth to it. So it's it's been going well. I, I definitely like it. How about you? You're you're back on the bodybuilding programming. You kind of bounce around a little bit, but now you. Land yeah. On that. Yeah, I definitely. So I've, I've never been someone who's like a program hopper, so to speak. And I've been a pretty egregious program hopper in the last. 10 weeks, I'd say, 
I've probably been on four different programs in the last three months. At least. Um, yeah, at least. And I finally settled in on going back to, you know, some old programming that my coach, when I competed, I uh, was part of 3DMJ, 3D Muscle Journey, which is a natural bodybuilding team that's coached by a group of coaches. Um, and I went back to that programming, which is an incredibly basic program with, you know, certain movements that are laid out that are similar to what I was saying earlier, horizontal press, horizontal pull, um, vertical pull, and lower body press. And you set those exercises at the beginning of the block. The block is four weeks. So you select your exercises. You ideally stick with those specific exercises for four weeks, unless you need to make any substitutions on a given day based on how you feel. Um, and then it's a very simple layout in terms of volume. There's a few movements that are considered like the power movements or the more strength-based movements um, on three separate days. And then there are the rest of the movements all follow the same set and rep scheme from week to week. And it's just kind of in the 10 to 12 range for those movements. The power movements are in the four to six range. Um, and it's just a very simple progression three weeks of progressively accumulating volume, the fourth week's a deload, and then you enter the second block and then repeat and then the third block. And from block to block, the volume progresses so that at the end of the third block, you're at kind of the peak volume of the whole thing. So it's a very nice way to just build a, a solid base of you know, routine training in sort of routine movements um, and a very kind of laid out volume progression that's quite simple from week to week. Um, now you'll choose different exercises in um, phase one and phase two, right? So it'll say like horizontal pull, you'll pick a completely different. Yeah. So once I get to the second and third block, each time I get there, it'll say again, horizontal this, horizontal that. So I'll go in on the first block and retype in Rather than horizontal pull, I'll type in, you know, barbell bent over row. Mm -hmm. But then when I get to the second block, that's erased and it's back to horizontal pull. So I'll have the option to, you know, if I feel like I'm getting in a groove with a bent over barbell row over the last four weeks, I'm like, this is feeling better. I feel like I'm, you know, in touch with the movement. I've been able to add some weight and progress the volume. Then I'll stick with that in the next block and continue on. If I get to the point where I think... Ah, this movement doesn't make a lot of sense because as I've progressed it, you know, because I'm hinging in the barbell row, the next day I train my RDL and that's the power movement. And this, I don't like the way that this is organized. The second block, I'll switch that out and do maybe a seated cable row, right? Or a chest supported row or, or something else. Mm -hmm. um, so you have the option to change it in the next block, but if you can keep it the same, Obviously, that'll allow you to maybe continue to progress that one movement. So uh, I'll keep it the same in that context. But most of the time, I do switch it up because, again, like that contributes to me feeling a little bit better and offloading some of the patterns that I've accumulated some volume under. And that can, you know, help me feel better. So helps with longevity. Yeah, longevity. And I think, you know, we can talk now about some of the psychological benefits, like you said, look good, feel good. I think that there's a 
there's also a very negative side of bodybuilding when it comes to body dysmorphia and being hyper-focused on the way you look. Um, so there are benefits to, hey, I'm making progress. I feel like I'm looking better over time. But the reality is a lot of those changes outside of being in an aggressive caloric deficit and dropping a lot of body fat, a lot of the changes in your physique can be pretty gradual. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes when you're trying to add muscle to your frame, that's not only gradual, but may require that you accumulate some body fat at the same time. So you may at certain points in time feel like you're taking steps backwards, or you may find that you need to stop thinking so much about how you look because the reality is it's not going to shift dramatically in the next six months to a year, particularly when you get to the point that you are well-trained and you have several years of that style of training under your belt. Things just don't change incredibly rapidly. You hit that plateau. Yeah, you hit you know somewhat of a plateau, and it takes – it's the 80-20 rule, right? Like the first 20% of your effort gives you 80% of the results. If you want the last 20% of the results, that's going to take the other 80% of the effort. And so after your first few years, you've gotten that 80% of the results. Now the re- remainder here is a grind to, to accumulate. So you have to obviously value the process a lot, and that should be the focus. But it's easy sometimes to look at the way that you look and be like, man, this is not changing very quickly. And you can develop a mindset of once I look a certain way, I'll finally be happy with my training or once I look this way or once I have abs, once my shoulders fill out this shirt or like once I feel good about this, then I'll be happy. And then that never obviously comes because it's always a ever-changing progress that you don't really see on a day-to-day. Have you ever been in that zone where you're, you're thinking to yourself, I need to take a step back from training aesthetics because... I feel like I'm just running in a in a hamster wheel type thing. Definitely, and it, it's tough because when you first get on any program, you know you you see your biggest changes in volume right away. Your your weights go way up because you're getting all these neuromuscular adaptations. You're getting stronger, you know, without actually seeing any hypertrophy. So you know you feel good through that. Then you start getting into the early hypertrophy window. You're starting to get bigger, starting to see the muscles grow, and that makes you feel good. And then you do hit that you know, semi plateau. And then all that, you know, steam, you were just rolling fast for so long. And then it just like kind of comes to a halting stop in a sense. And it is tough to keep going. So, you know, for me, I'm just, I've done that in the past. I've gotten to that point and then I'll switch it up and maybe go back to more of a performance programming. I'll, you know, start hitting some box jumps, some broad jumps, some sprints, stuff like that med ball work. And it's, it's fun to, for myself to change up program styles and just work on completely different new movements just to, you know, stay ready for all planes and stuff like that. Um, no, I've definitely found myself in that, in that, um, in that mindset. But like you were saying, how you, you know, you keep chasing the, that new look, that almost goes down to like any sport you do that, like in baseball, like chain or chasing numbers, keep chasing that velo and it, it's a sen- in a sense the aesthetics training almost turns into a performance training where you're training for that end goal that look and you just keep chasing numbers and with any sport you know that's where you can run into some potential risk of 
you know, injuries or whatever, if you are, you know, changing up your nutrition to help try and like match that goal and you're just overreaching for that, you can get into that, you know, overreaching, overtraining problem too. Yeah. So you can definitely focus on the wrong things regardless of what your training style is. You know, like if you're, if you are a power lifter and you hit a, hit your best squat earlier in the year, you're now eight months later, you're still, you know, working towards hitting a max that exceeds the, the last one. Um, that's your sport. And it can be exhausting sometimes to be chasing m- these little increments in progress. Um, especially if that's always the focus rather than the process of training, you're always thinking about end goal and not about just enjoying the process. And that's something that even in my contest prep, like my coach who, uh, his name's Jeff Alberts. He has been training for, you know, 30 plus years at this point and has been competing most of his life at the same time too. Um, pretty much from the age of like 20 for the last 30 years. Um, it's impressive. Yeah. And, and he's, he's one of those guys who, and I've seen this with some of my friends too, where I've competed with them or had trained with them in the past and, you know, they were competitive bodybuilders. I trained with them. They were a certain size, a certain strength and had been training for many years. So it's like, okay, the, the progress is going to be pretty slow. And then I don't see them for three or four years and I see them again and they seem significantly bigger because they've just been so diligent in making those minor increments in progress every month that they could not see whatsoever. And I see that I'm like, man, you got like, you made a lot of improvements and they're like, yeah, it's been four years since I've seen you. Like, I hope I've made some improvements, but for me, maybe I spent those four years switching up my goals and I don't feel like I've made the progress that they've made in that domain because I've been focused on other things as well and being more functional, fighting a little bit in MMA and kind of switching things up because I felt like progress was going to be incredibly slow. But then when I look at them, I'm like, yeah, it's slow, but now we are four years later and they have made significant progress. And to some degree in this domain, I didn't. And had I just stuck with it like them, I probably would have. Um, so there's a, there's pros and cons to switching things up. I think I'm, getting more to the point now where I want to mimic that a little bit more and just be in my lane of training that I enjoy. Functional things are going to exist and maybe I will do them once in a while, but I don't think that in recognizing that the process is what's important, I'm going to train in the way that I enjoy the process the most, which for me is aesthetic style training Mm -hmm. and screw you all out there who judge me for that. (laughs) It's all about the journey, right? For sure. For sure. Um, but anyways, hopefully you guys enjoyed the, the riff here. If you have any questions about more detailed programming stuff, differences in training styles, or maybe just let us know what your thoughts are on your own training with more functional CrossFit, other performance-based sports versus training exclusively to look a certain way. Uh, and let us know what you think about the difference between training for one versus the other. Um, so yeah, we hope you guys are all doing well and we appreciate you listening. Bye. 
Thank you for listening to the Training Room Talk podcast. We hope today's discussion was helpful in illuminating some of the complexities behind pain and rehab. If you don't know where to go from here, please reach out to us with questions. We have mentorship options for clinicians and students and programming options for you to elevate your own fitness. We look forward to speaking with you and again, hope you enjoyed today's discussion.